0: From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 78. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and PDF Pen from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley. I am back, joined by Mr. Federico Vaticci. We have traded in me for Stephen this week. You know,
1: it was a difficult decision. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, the the podcasting gods approached me and the gods were like, you have to sacrifice one of your co-hosts to have Mike back. And it was a very biblical effort. Uh, but, you know, Stephen was kind enough to to sacrifice himself for, for the cause, to have you back on the show, Mike. Welcome back.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be back. And so it's this weird thing to have missed two episodes, but... It fell just upon the time where the day that I got sick, and then like two days before I got better. So, here I am, and I enjoyed being a listener. I was listening live.
1: No, we saw you
0: providing follow up and feedback, <laughs> and I was suggesting titles. very nice to to have that live listening experience.
1: Yeah, we we felt we felt the pressure, Mike. Oh yeah, you know, we were being watched uh, by you. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope that we didn't blow it, Mike. Uh, no, you
0: didn't. You did a good job.
1: Okay, that's that's good to know. So we we have a follow-up, we have follow-out. Uh, but first, what's going on with Google Docs this week?
0: Yeah, so we're going to take a slightly different stance now. Um, you guys <laughs> mentioned it last week. Uh, it's kind of got to the point where we, me and you are just, we just don't, want to deal with this so i'm still using google docs for some of my shows but for a couple of shows especially for shows where they're predominantly ipad focused in preparation so this show and cortex as well we're using quip now me and you have used quip in the past yes um i for the same reason uh google was lagging behind so we gave quip turn until google caught up again and the reason we switched back is because quip has its own weird ui issues in places yes um so once google docs kind of caught back up again we went back to google docs uh but at the moment i'm happy to take quips kind of weird ui bugs for Mm -hmm. split screen multitasking yeah like you know they even have some bugs in split screen like you hit this yes. like button to try and change formatting and it only shows you half of the UI and you know it's weird but it's being more actively updated for the device that me and you choose to use so we're going with it for now
1: Yeah you know it you got to you got to pick you know the 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 least <laughs> worst option really mm-hmm and uh, quip has a few issues at least for me when when typing like sometimes it doesn't accept char- characters on screen it's kind of weird um or the but, you insertion
0: know. point jumps around every now and then when you're copying and pasting
1: yeah it jumps around and you know there's a Bunch of oddities, really, uh, but it's better than no split view at all, or having to use the the blown up keyboard yep. in the Google Docs app. So you know, I'll take it, <laughs> and yep. uh, we'll see. Well, it has some
0: great features as well that I really like. So one thing that I think is genius is native ability to import Google Docs. That yes. is so smart. So I just was able to sign in with my Google Docs account, and I was just able to bring in our show note document and it maintained all of its formatting. Uh, It has a URL scheme for documents which is great for me to use my quick launching actions that I use Mm -hmm. to launch all of our separate docs. I use Launch Center Pro Actions in a Notification Center widget so I'm able to maintain that. Um, They have a web app as well which is also a bit buggy but they also have a Mac app. So I'm currently using their Mac app in split screen on my iMac with Chrome which is really nice. So You know, it's working for us right now. When, and I believe it is a when, not an if, when Google Docs does decide to have their iPad Pro update, Um, I'm looking forward to checking that out and maybe we'll move back. But for now, at least for for me and you and for me and Gray, I guess, Quip is doing the job that we need it to do, which is to give us the cross-platform experience that we're looking for.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you can even export uh, documents as Markdown. Uh, There's a bunch of little, you know, nice features. Uh, We'll see how it goes. For now, you know, I've been outlining the shows with Split View. It's it's, uh, really all that I wanted. So uh, we have decided to to stop complaining about Google Docs just publicly. You know, privately, we we say really bad things, but we'll see what happens. Well, we decided
0: Uh, to just take some action, which makes our lives a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, we always like to take action. Got to take Um, action.
0: Yes, Alex wrote in uh, in regards to some follow-up about app updates. So you and uh, Stephen had a fantastic conversation last week about the uh, weird trend of the way that app updates are pushed out by large companies. And this was a, a, a quite a good, good point that Alex made. Um, and he says, I actually thought one of the most common reasons developers may... Issue updates in the way that they do, you know, with very little information, uh, would maybe be quite widely known in the dev community. The reason is that App Review, so Apple App Review, doesn't then know what to review specifically. Leaving a generic update message such as bug fixes leaves the Apple reviewer with the task of reviewing the entire application, most of which presumably would be working fine, since it's presumably passed App Review many times in the past via previous updates. This reduces the chance that they test any new features or hidden features. Features, which for whatever reason the developer may not want the app reviewer to be honing in on thus improving the chance of an update getting passed.
1: Yeah, and what does this say about app review?
0: What does it, and also what does it say about the developers putting the applications through? I mean, I you mean, know, you can you can say what you want on either side, but that is a really good reason for why they may do things this way. I mean, you know, we look at that whole Facebook s- yeah. scenario that you picked up on um with the what were they doing? They were using audio and, and all that kind of stuff to keep the app active. Yep.
1: Yeah, and 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 I know that people at Apple knew about this, and you know they were just waiting for people to figure out what was going on, and you know. But I don't know why App Review didn't 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 pay attention to that before. Uh, but I totally believe that you know for big companies, uh, not having a detailed change log uh, can help with App Review. Maybe. I don't know. Um,
0: And also, it helps them. So I I was thinking about this as well. There are many of these big applications. They roll out updates which have hidden functionality in them that will come at a certain point because they have the update in place before they make their announcement of the new functionality that their app has, right? And they do something server-side to enable it. That makes sense to me as well, that you might not want to kind of show your hand before you're ready to announce a piece of functionality. Mm-hmm. That's another reason to do it, but not to do it every two weeks that way.
1: Yeah, you know, it also makes sense for, for companies that do one of those um, staged rollouts of new features. Yeah. Uh, if you write it up on the App Store, the change log is, is the same for everyone. Whereas if you just keep it vague uh, and then you roll out the feature internally in the app to, you know, only some users, uh, you can avoid the frustration of people uh, asking you, hey, where's this new feature? Why don't I see it? Uh, you know, you can do like Twitter. Twitter doesn't often, you know, announce new features in the changelog on the App Store, but then they release updates very frequently. And then on the Twitter blog, you can read about the new features. Uh, yeah. Still, you know, for, for smaller developers, I, I don't think this is the best route. You know, it, I just no, prefer I to, uh, if you if you are, uh, you know, a smaller company or an indie developer, you know, it's just better to to tell people what's actually new. Um, it, it was an interesting topic I got a lot of interesting feedback I forgot where it came from uh, but someone on Twitter said I like apps that are updated often uh, when they come from indie developers because they they make me feel like I have a relationship with the developer in the sense that I bought their app and now it's getting updates and I feel like I made a good choice and yeah. really that, en- that encapsulates a lot of what I feel like Yeah, so really know?
0: good point That's a really good point.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I just want to do a bit of follow-out to uh, Remaster, which is a -hmm. a video gaming show that me and you host, along with our friend Shahid Kamal Ahmad, uh, who worked at PlayStation for 20 years... uh, On the show over the last couple of episodes, we've began what we're calling a state of the union of the different gaming platforms that exist. Uh, Episode two focused on Nintendo. Episode three focused on iOS. So I wanted to just highlight the iOS episode specifically to listeners of this show. I think people may enjoy to hear what me, you and Shahid... uh, thought about Apple's 2015 in gaming and what we think of their trends for 2016. uh, I think that there might be a good crossover. And I think that uh, this series that we're doing on Remaster uh, would be enjoyed by many people that that listen to this show because we're kind of going in depth on each of the platforms. And uh, this week's episode, which will come out later on in the week, will be focusing on Microsoft. So it's a good good, uh, series to listen to, I think. And I think people that listen to this show may enjoy it.
1: Yeah. It was a really good discussion.
0: I agree. Uh, Stan wrote to him with a question for you, Federico. Well, a mm-hmm. question for both of us, really, um, about what stands we use for our iPad Pros or if we know of any good stands to use. Um, I use the smart keyboard uh, exclusively. I always have the smart keyboard attached to my iPad Pro. Uh, it feels like part of the device for me. So I use it to stand as I'm typing and I also use it to stand to watch video. And, and it does, I think, a pretty good job Of that, Um, I wish that I could control the um, the angle degree when it's in typing. I would like Mm -hmm. it to sometimes be a little bit more up in front of my face as opposed to kind of further away from me. But that's relatively easy to do when positioning it on my on my lap. But I would prefer to be able to make that change. Uh, But Federico, I believe you use a dedicated stand because you don't use a keyboard, a physical keyboard, so often.
1: No, no, I absolutely love the 12 South Park Slope. Uh it's a it, that's the reason uh the reason why I use it it's exactly because I want my my typing experience to be a little higher than the angle of the smart cover. And it's this simple uh aluminum stand, it's 50 bucks from the 12 South store. I bought it on Amazon. Um it's very simple. It works with an iPad Pro. It works with MacBooks.
0: Yeah, this was designed to work for. This was a MacBook product. But yeah. It also fits yes, the iPad
1: just perfectly. Yeah. And for extra, I, I don't really have to because there's a bunch, uh, a couple of rubber uh, feet at the bottom of the stand. Uh, but for extra grip, I actually fo- fold the smart cover behind the iPad and then place the iPad on top of the bark slope. Um. I just love the angle. Uh, it's very comfortable for me. I can, you know, I, I find it easier for typing long form articles uh, on the on the park slope instead of a, of the folded smart cover. Uh, really simple. Uh, the the hardware. It's it's you know it's nice. It's a <laughs> it's a triangle, <laughs> basically, and uh, gets my recommendation all the way. I love it.
0: Yeah, this is a nice piece of hardware. I mean, I have a few Twelve South products. Everything they make tends to be fantastic. Um, I am interested to understand some of the ergonomical uh, potential ergonomical issues with the way that we use our iPads. Um, I don't know what's good or bad in regards to it. I know, all I know is I move around a lot more and into different positions uh, when I feel fatigue uh, when I'm using my iPad as opposed to sitting in front of my Mac all day. But the desk that I have is set up to be ergonomically sound. I don't know what the right option is. Uh, but I am yeah, interested well. to kind of see how that works over time. Because all I know is uh if I'm using it at the desk and especially looking at the way you're probably using this stand is there's probably quite a lot of looking down, which is not necessarily yeah. that great for your
1: spine. No. No, that's not great, but you know, the best part is when I feel like I need to move, because I'm using an iPad, I can just pick up the iPad and exactly. walk around the that, house. That's
0: my thing. Like I found myself today um, I really noticed this. I was in the kitchen typing, standing at the desk, and then I was walking upstairs and I had a thought and I sat down on my staircase and typed out some more. And then I came upstairs and sat at my desk. Like, I don't do that with my iMac and I'm not moving my iMac around the house. Yeah, exactly. I don't uh, know what the right option is. All I know is it's it's different.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you know, for, for our type of uh, sedentary work, um, really the best way to to battle our trend to sit down and not move is to change position often and I feel like the iPad kind of enables that uh, that behavior because you can pick it up just stretch for five minutes just change position with your hands go from landscape mode to portrait mode and really just moving and changing your position standing up you know uh, stretching a little of your neck you know what take a few steps when you're working. That sort of stuff helps. Uh, I felt a lot worse when I used to work on my MacBook for like, you know, six hours straight. And it's so easy to never, never, you know... uh yeah, go away from your desk, really, uh, because you're you know you're in the in the zone. You're typing, you're coding, you're podcasting, whatever it is. You're just at your MacBook and you're never uh, you never leave your desk. Uh, with the iPad, it's just I find it to be a little actually a lot better because uh, just the device is meant to be picked up, be held, be touched, move around, and it's just perfect for me.
0: Yeah. All right, so um, we're not going to spend too much time on this because I don't think. Either of us are really uh, educated enough to talk about this from a security perspective. But this morning, February 16th, Tim Cook wrote an open letter on Apple.com about a security thing um, in regards to the FBI in the United States asking for Apple to create a backdoor into an individual's phone because of a terrorist incident in San Bernardino last year. Yes. Um, and Tim Cook has written an open letter explaining why doing this one time for the FBI could cause significant issues and set a dangerous precedent for Apple. And I've seen a lot of backwards and forwards on mm-hmm. Twitter as to, to what the uh, security implications are. But my feeling about this when reading it is um, the way that I've come away from this is, not saying about how you know, and Tim Cook's not really focusing on how feasible this is from a technical perspective. Yeah. He's yep. kind of focusing more on if we do this, it sets the... a and one of the headings in the article, a dangerous precedent yes. for doing it time and time again.
1: It's really the principle of yeah. enable enabling government agencies to access the contents of an iPhone, whether, you know, Tim Cook says, we believe the FBI is doing this with good intentions, and we have no sympathy for terrorists. But really, the problem is, if we do this for one phone, there's the risk that, you know, the government is going to ask the, to do this for every kind of phone, and the technology could fall in the hands of people who are not the government, who are, you know, criminals that want to access the contents of your iPhone. Now, again...
0: And I also read this as, you know, and it doesn't implicate this at all, but my takeaway is, maybe Apple doesn't even want people inside of Apple working on this. Right? What What do you mean? Creating backdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just don't want anybody doing this, because you don't know what the people could end up doing with it
1: you know i feel like um the best security is to create a piece of of technology that is physically impossible to break into because every time there's a human making a decision there's going to be a discussion there's going to be a request to overcome you know to to circumvent security and i wouldn't be surprised if apple changed the iphone 7 i don't know if this is even possible so this is why we don't want to dwell on this for too long i we have no expertise in security you know ios firmware you know secure keys whatever uh but from my you know uh simple point of view uh if it, w- if it would be physically impossible for Apple or anyone else to break into an iPhone, I feel like that would, you know, even prevent this discussion. Because the, the problem would then change to, well, you shouldn't sell a phone that is physically impossible to break into. You know, because right now Apple makes a decision. The FBI asks for a backdoor and Apple says no. But the the fact that Apple says no, it's not because it's physically impossible. It's because Tim Cook and, you know, the entire company doesn't want you. Uh, whereas with an iPhone that doesn't actually have a way to, you know, to bypass security, there there wouldn't be this discussion. It would be, well, we don't want you to sell the iPhone in the United States, but what's the likelihood of that happening, really? So, you know, maybe Apple will change uh, the way that they do this kind of thing in the next iPhone. So I don't know.
0: So, yeah, it's it's worth reading because all of these things are always written really well. Uh I assume Tim Cook's right, Tim Cook writes them with some help from Apple PR oh, I yeah, guess, but yeah. they're always fantastically written and worth reading.
1: Yeah, uh, and the, the 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 letter came in just a few hours after the court the, the court order from last night uh from a California judge I believe. Uh so it was a really fast response. And
0: my I am wondering uh and I don't know, but are they going to be able to win this? That's that's the interesting that's, thing. Yeah. Are uh, they gonna be able to say no to this? Because uh-huh. but the implication that Tim Cook is making is that they can do it. Right?
1: They can do it, yes. That, they, it, that it, it, seems it, to be the implication.
0: Yeah, the, the implication in this letter is this is possible for Apple to do, so they are you know, and I'm sure the court already knew this. Um, in w- whatever way maybe through some legal means that Apple had to testify or somebody had to testify I don't know um, but they are saying basically that this is possible to do but they do not want to do it and I I don't know how the law works but yeah. <laughs> that seems like a, a difficult thing but
1: you know especially because there was a terrorist and a shooting and you mm-hmm. know involved and yeah, it's, it's a little problematic
0: but Apple have the money to fight it further than anybody else could I guess
1: I guess we'll see what happens.
0: All right, let's take a break. And we've got a very interesting first topic today. This (laughs) week's episode is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen, your Swiss army knife for working with PDFs. PDF Pen has all of the basics covered for working with PDFs, like filling in, signing forms, making edits, highlighting, and OCRing, the things that you're used to doing every day. But also with PDF Pen, you will be able to unlock specific powers that you never even knew you had to become the PDF wizard that you've always wanted to be. You can use redaction, word export, page numbering, and even Bates numbering, which is something extremely complicated that I don't understand. But you can do it with PDF Pen. And with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, you'll be able to take this wizardry. On the road, you can take control of your contracts and forms, no matter where you are. This is something that I do all the time, especially on my iPad Pro. I receive a contract via email, I open it in PDF Pen, sign it with my Apple Pencil, and send it on its way. It's so easy to do to be able to to do these things very quickly. Uh, on ATP, Casey was complaining about uh, signing a contract, and I said to him, "Well, PDF Pen is all you need. If you're the type of person that enjoys a paperless office." You're going to love this. No more printing, scanning, or faxing. Just fill and sign with PDF Pen and you'll be on your way. Smile also offers 10 great tutorials from the very talented Mr. David Smarks of MacPower users. These short videos will teach you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen. Seven. You can learn more about PDF Pen at SmileSoftware.com/slash-connected. PDF Pen Seven and PDF Pen Pro Seven require OS 10 Yosemite, but work beautifully on El Capitan. PDF Pen for iOS is available from the App Store. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico, you shocked the nation. Oh wh- did I, think. I? Really? Yeah, this I much. Think so. okay. Yeah, this was a this was a big surprise to me for a few <laughs> different reasons which we'll get into. Uh you bought an Amazon Echo. <laughs> uh yes. why did you do this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why it makes you it makes you so surprised. I just
0: don't know why you did it. Like it's very confusing to me as to to why you've done this, considering okay. just tell me why.
1: <clears throat> um Well the there's a few reasons um the first one is that i'm curious to try new things sure you know it's my job to try but new the, the stuff but the
0: echo isn't very
1: new no it's not very new but it's it's getting updates and it got more powerful over the past few months thanks to integrations with a bunch of apps and services so that sort of piqued my interest when i was reading about the echo over you know, over the past couple of months, really, you know, the Spotify integration, the Uber integration. Um, so I was, uh, you know, every time I see a, a device with a lot of support for third party services and apps, that sort of gets me, you know, it gets me really interested in trying the product. And also, uh, it's, I, I want to say it's part of, uh, it is really Dan Morin's fault. Uh, because, Mm. you know, he's been writing about the Echo at Six Colors, and I've been reading about, you know, what it does and all the crazy stuff that you can do for home automation. Uh, And I was like, man, this sounds really, really interesting. And also, I'm I'm sort of frustrated with Siri on on the Apple Watch, because it's slow, and on the iPhone, because for some reason... sort of just stops working. And with HomeKit, sometimes it doesn't understand my commands or it just doesn't do them. Uh, So, you know, it was a a combination of things. Um, I'm curious to try this new device. I saw the integrations. Uh, You know, Siri can be a lot better. And I've been meaning to try, you know, um, a voice-powered service with a lot of app integrations, which Siri doesn't do. And to me, the idea of of a speaker slash, you know, robotic assistant that sits in my living room and it doesn't require me to bring up Siri on my iPhone or my iPad. I can just start talking. Uh, It was sort of, you know, appealing to me for some reason. And so uh, I was like, you know, the problem is I cannot buy an Echo in Italy. So what do I do? Because if I go to Amazon US, it doesn't ship to Rome. Uh, So what, what I did is I went to first I looked up online, there's a few communities of, uh, you know, uh, Amazon Echo users. Uh, There's a Reddit uh, that you can go to, there's a a forum called, uh, I don't remember, I'll send you a link, Mike. Um, So I looked it up and people were saying, you can buy the Echo uh, from the U.S. if you find a way. And you can use it outside of the U.S. You will just lose the ability to access some U.S. features such as, you know, asking what's the weather outside because, you know, outside doesn't mean you're in America. <laughs> or you cannot look up traffic information or you cannot use um, U.S. Prime services. Um, but everything else, those people said, it's Does working it, just fine.
0: So it works with your Italian Amazon account. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's when you. Interesting.
1: Okay. So f- I'll get to the setup. Uh, so I looked it up. I was basically ninety percent sure that it was gonna work in Italy. So I went to eBay. Uh, I looked up uh, Amazon Echo and there was a guy in the UK who apparently has bought a lot of Amazon Echos <laughs> and he's selling them to European customers with a bit of markup, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about really $100. Uh, I figured, you know, whatever i uh, I just want to try this. I understand why this guy went through the trouble of importing all these devices and selling them again on eBay, uh, so I bought it ten days ago and it got here yesterday actually earlier than expected, so you know it was a nice surprise with a plus, the eBay. plus
0: plus, plus would echo again
1: yes exactly mm-hmm. um, so it got here yesterday, and uh, I wanted to briefly touch upon the setup um you don't need a US Amazon account. You don't need a Prime subscription. I uh, At least my understanding is you just need an Amazon account. So I logged in with my Italian Amazon account and it was ready to go. So the way that you set up the Echo is you take out this you know cylinder-like <laughs> object from the box. You plug it into the, the power outlet. I needed to buy a US adapter, by the way, for my Italian, you know, wall outlet. Um, You plug in the power. There's no ethernet cable. It works over Wi-Fi. it, you turn it on, you connect to the Wi-Fi network that the Echo creates, so you connect your iPhone to the to the Echo itself, and then you basically instruct the Echo to connect to your existing Wi-Fi network at home, so it can, you know, configure itself, communicate with the Amazon servers, download the software update. Actually, it didn't download the software update, which we'll get to that in a minute. Um... You wait like a couple of minutes and then it's ready to go and you download this uh, Alexa app from the App Store uh, that it shows you a video at the beginning to kind of give you a few examples of what you can do and then you're ready to go. You can just say Alexa and, you know, uh, ask for your, you know, ask your command really and... there's a bunch of features that you can try. You can ask for weather conditions. Uh you can So you can
0: ask for the weather. You well, just can't ask for the weather outside.
1: You have to format your question. So for me, I would say Alexa, what's the weather in Rome, Italy? You know? That's fine. You cannot say what's the weather. Uh you have to specify. And it totally works. Uh it's uh you know, I was surprised to see that the the quality of the speech recognition is much, much better. Than Siri, it works from from a distance. So I keep my my Echo in a, a, on a shelf in my uh, kitchen slash living room, uh, and I can talk to Alexa from another room. I can talk to Alexa while the TV is going. I can talk to Alexa while Alexa is playing music <laughs> from Spotify. Uh, it's the 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 speech recognition is just incredible, much much better than Siri.
0: Give me some examples of the things that you're asking it.
1: So I uh, I mean I've only played with uh, with the Echo for a couple of hours so far because I didn't have time this morning. Um so far I've been asking questions such as unit conversion which I do a lot so uh, you know pounds feet to the converted to the metric system um uh, unit conversion for uh, you know money dollars euros that kind of stuff um just random wikipedia type questions that i would normally look up on google and i I've, I've been i configured the spotify integration because i want to see i mean i love apple music right i just completely in love with apple music but i want to see if with the voice um you know commands of the amazon echo i'm going to listen to music more during the day because i i don't have the um the pressure of having to interrupt my writing flow to go to the music app or to ask to Siri which never understands what i'm asking for i want to see if by having us like a like a separate assistant dedicated to music and other stuff i'm going to listen to music more does that make make sense mike i think so <laughs> i just when i'm writing w- I don't want to be distracted by other apps. So I mute mute notifications. I Mm -hmm. don't use split view. I'm just looking at my text editor. But I would like to have music in the background. Um, I just don't want to operate another app. I don't want to distract me visually from text. So having a a robot basically take care of music for me, I want to see if I like it, if that works for me. Um, Have you
0: tried to do this with Siri?
1: Yes, and it didn't ne- work for you. Never works. <laughs>
0: so what is the hit rate with the Echo's f- uh, voice recognition?
1: Well, so far, I would say and again, this is based on just a few experiments from last night, a solid 90%. It's really amazing.
0: But so you're you're kind of there's one thing about the music though where you're you're kind of moving into mic territory here. You just bought a Sonos. Mm-hmm. and now you're playing music on the Echo.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to understand what's better, <laughs> you know?
0: But what I, I mean is though, yeah, I get that. I can always sell you this bought, stuff later. You sure can. It's just the funny thing of, like, you just went all in on this Sonos system for playing your music, and now you're like, yeah, let's get the other. Well, you know,
1: you know, I don't see myself ever leaving Apple Music just because I love the family subscription I love the For You section.
0: Right. So there's no way for you to play uh, your Apple Music over the Echo and work it that way.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's maybe a few ways. Uh, you can send uh, the audio from the music app to the Echo speaker because it's also Bluetooth. Uh, but there's no way to ask Alexa about Apple Music. And I don't see Apple ever working with Amazon to bring you know Apple Music yeah, integration to Alexa. That's not going to gonna happen. Yeah. Gonna happen. Uh, but really... I feel like I just want to understand what's better for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to do this it's not to read on tech blogs what other people think; it's to actually try it. And the Amazon Echo to try, you know, it was a little tricky to, you know, get get a unit because I n- needed to go on eBay and it's not officially supported in Italy. But whatever, I just feel like there's something about the idea of a Siri for the home that is separate from your iPhone or your iPad that sits somewhere in your living room or in your bedroom. You know, there's something to the idea of an assistant that you can just walk around and ask questions to uh, that I feel like Apple should really consider, you know, for the future. Uh, There was this uh, post from MG Siegler, just a, you know two days ago, I was about to receive my Echo. And he's making the same argument that, you know, this is what Apple and Google should have done. Uh, I, and I and I understand why a lot of people are super in love with their Amazon Echo. Even Christina Warren really loves you know, the Echo. It's very
0: confusing to me because I don't understand why this physical device sitting in one specific place is better than the device that you have with you and the voice commands like I'm oh, mm-hmm. oh, sorry everybody, the uh, Hello telephone or the okay material type scenario
1: you know it's there's something about walking around the house not having to carry the iphone and talking to siri like an idiot just walking freely like and talking to another person but it's a robot that's that seems to be the key here so
0: is is d de- is it doing a better job then is that that the key here it's doing a better job
1: it depends so um You cannot, of course, do the native stuff that Siri does. You cannot send messages. Or, you know, you cannot open apps on your device, of course. Uh, But you can do a lot of the things that Siri does. You can connect to your calendar. uh, You can connect to home automation devices, which is what I'm going to do this week. uh, Because a lot of people are saying that the Philips Hue integration, the Belkin Wemo integration is super solid and much better than HomeKit. Um, And, you know... I feel like Siri has a place on the iPhone for some uh, deep native integrations, but a lot of th- a lot of the things that I would like Siri to do, the Amazon Echo already does. So, you know, turning my lights on and off, uh, connecting to my Belkin Wemo switch, uh, asking for music that actually understands me. I mean, the Echo is even doing a better job at accepting my you know italian accent mm. whereas siri gets a lot more confused than the amazon echo uh so it, it's a, it's more forgiving and really i just feel like the speech recognition is better um especially when you when you can talk you know walk around the house and say alexa out loud and it listens to you that's impressive um but i'm i i'm in the early stages you know of uh playing around with the echo i've only configured the, the Spotify integration, and asked a bunch of questions for, you know, converting units and Wikipedia and weather. Uh, there's a lot more to try.
0: Are you able to hook up the Echo with any of the existing uh, home automation devices you have?
1: Uh, I, I have the Philips Hue lights. I have the um, Belkin Wimo switch, you know, the, the traditional one. Uh, I feel, uh, I don't think I can connect the Echo to the Elgato sensors. I don't think there's a way. Okay. So that's too bad. Yeah, it would have been nice. Um what I want to do is I want because there's a IFTTT integration uh with the Amazon Echo, I want to create ways to add tasks to my to-do with the with Alexa. Hmm. That's going to be nice. <laughs> I I'm I'm thinking about a workflow to to have Alexa send an email to my to-do email address and create uh, tasks with Alexa.
0: <laughs> All right. So actually, here's the thing. So what I wanted to bring up next might help you with this. Uh, again, Dan Morin, who seems to be the king of home automation these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he turned me on Five Six Colors to Wink. Wink is a app and web service. They also make their own hardware products as well which allows you to control and program some devices. And it has a bunch of devices that it works with, one of them being the Amazon Echo. So you're able to chain them together, chain your devices together. It kind of works as a bridge between them all. And the reason that I have checked this out is because uh, Wink and my Canary, my home uh, alarm system, my home security system, work together. So I'm able to do things with the Wink integration of Canary that I cannot do with a Canary on its own. So what I've been able to do is to... uh, We've kind of decided that we don't want the camera on when we're at home.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: Now, you can have that. You can have it armed when you're at home, and it knows you're at home so it doesn't go crazy all the time. Uh, And you can train it to know who the people are. But I just don't want it to be on and, and armed when we're at home so we have it in privacy mode but what i did think about the other uh, a couple of days ago is uh if we had a home intrusion at night i want the canary to pick that up
1: yeah yeah
0: so i've been able to use wink to program my canary to be in armed mode so t- at fr- at 2am because that's usually when there's no movement in the house cuz i'm definitely asleep not definitely, but I'm usually asleep by that time. And then to set back into privacy mode at 7 a.m., which is when Adina is waking up to go to work. Mm. Nice. So nice. that now does that on its own. But you're able to use Wink as like a it's like a home automation protocol. So you're able to use the Amazon Echo to do things. Like so for example, I believe that Dan Moran uses uh wink as a way to turn on his canary via the echo
1: oh that's nice you know i can i can try to turn on my many thing uh recording system with the with the iphones and ipod touches that i use as cameras with the amazon echo you know i'm gonna try this
0: yeah, so as Dan says in a post that I'll put in our show notes, which you can find at relay.fm slash slash 78 or in your podcast app of choice. he says, uh, I can now arm, disarm, or engage Canary's privacy mode via voice commands to Alexa. Moreover, I also integrated it with my Wemo light switch, so when my office light automatically turns off at night, the Canary is automatically armed. So oh, that's, that's an interesting nice. thing. And Wink make their own physical products, which allow you to trigger a lot of these actions via touch. So they are physical and they also have like some hub stuff, but it seems like this protocol that allows you to connect these devices together that previously couldn't talk to each other. So, there could be some interesting nice. uh, ways for you to yeah. unlock some features in uh, there, Federica.
1: J- just another point that I feel like people are gonna ask us about yes, I do talk to my Amazon Icon English. Um, all my devices are set to English, even if I live in Italy, just for uh, because I most of the time I, I talk in English, um, you know, for work and with friends like Mike and Steven. Um And the people who are close to me, my family, my girlfriend, my my close friends, they are used to... Seeing me and hearing me talk in English to Siri, to you know, on the on the shows when I'm in the other room, Uh, so people around me don't think I'm crazy. They just they they do know it's for work. So when I set up the uh, Echo yesterday, no one was surprised (laughs) to hear me talk in English to the to the speaker. So yeah,
0: okay, that's a normal thing that you do. Yes, (laughs) but it does a good job of your accent.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, much better than Siri. Yes.
0: All right, we should come back to the Sonos because Sonos and Apple Music support launch this week so I want to get your thoughts on that Mm Federico but before we do that let me take a moment to thank Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode you can start building your own website today at squarespace.com use the offer code world at checkout and you'll get yourself a lovely 10% off Squarespace build it beautiful with Squarespace you're able to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level there's no coding experience required Squarespace has state of the art technology to power your site to ensure security and stability and to also help you build a website that you want they have responsive design built into all of their fantastic templates they have intuitive easy to use tools and make it very simple to drag and drop construct and build a website in the way that you want it to look you are able to do all of this in the web browser you're able to drag and drop elements you're able to customize elements and create a place for yourself online That is easy without all of the things that you usually have to worry about. You don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about security updates. They have all of this covered for you. And Squarespace also backed this up with their 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have people on hand ready to help you with anything that you might need. They have their commerce platform to allow you to sell physical and digital goods. They have bunches of integrations with other services to allow you to take your Squarespace site super far and into the future. They also have cover page functionality so you can build great-looking single-page websites as well. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and if you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name as well. You can start a trial today with no credit card required and build your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code WORLD at checkout. You'll be supporting this show and getting 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of Connected and Relay FM. Squarespace. You should. All right, so, Sonos and Apple Music support is mm-hmm. now here, Federico. So, yes. in your uh, home full of speakers <laughs> these days, uh, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts now that, that the service has launched?
1: Um, it works. It's nice. It just doesn't have the the same fun of Apple Music in the sense that it's a very utilitarian interface. Uh, When you connect uh, Apple Music to Sonos, um, the main page of the Apple Music service in the Sonos app, it's really just a list of albums and songs. Uh Uh, There's no... You know, all the... the, the, the stuff that's going on in the Apple Music, you know, the custom backgrounds, the the, the curation with the, you know, the different sizes of albums and playlists, the rotating banners at the top, there's none of that in the Sonos app. It's just a list of, uh, either a list or a grid of albums. It doesn't, it's just not as fun as Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have many, it's not just a visual problem. It doesn't have many of the same features or recommendations of Apple Music. Uh, so when When you listen to an album in Apple Music, at the bottom or at the side, if you're on the iPad, you get either recommendations for similar artists or similar albums. You get none of that on on the Sonos app. Uh, You you just get the album or song or artist that you're listening to. And even when you open artist pages in Sonos, um, you don't see the same you know, browsing experience of Apple Music. When you're in Apple Music, you get, you know, the latest release at the top, uh, top songs, top albums, which is, you know, these features were taken from Beats Music. Um, So before you dig deeper into an artist's catalog, you see the top stuff and the latest stuff at the top. Um, In the Sonos app, you just get a grid of albums in no particular order. Is you you have to remember what's the year the albums were published, what's a popular song's name, um, and of course you don't get you know the the three uh, controls uh, at the top of uh, of an artist page to switch between Apple Music, My Music, and Connect. You simply get what's on Apple Music. It's a very basic integration. It, uh, there's a the for you section. It's there, uh, and it contains the same content of the for you section in the music app. It's just not as fun again because there's no, um, you know, the layout is super basic. It's a it's a list of stuff that, you know, Apple Music thinks you should listen to. Uh, so if you're really into Apple Music. Uh, all the functionalities and the design itself uh you should use the apple music app on your phone mm-hmm. um but th- that's not to say that this isn't uh, this is not a welcome integration because it totally works for you has the same recommendations uh the setup experience is mm, very nice you're taken to this custom login page uh from the sonos app into apple music on your iphone or your ipad um, you authenticate with your Apple ID. You say yes, I want to give Sonos access to my, to my Apple Music account, and then you're taken back to the Sonos controller app for iOS. It's it's a really nice setup experience. It's super stable. This is you know not a surprise because the entire Sonos line seems to be very stable for me. Um, streaming is uh, is okay, and uh, one of the one of the perks of using Sonos is that you can search across multiple services at once. So if you connect, you know, Apple Music, SoundCloud, then your own music library, you can c- do cross-search across multiple services at once. So, for instance, when I'm looking for Death Cab for Cutie, I can see results from Apple Music, I can see re- uh, remixes from SoundCloud, and I can see the bootleg shows that I have on my Synology uh, with my local music <laughs> library. Uh, that's very Boot, nice. Huh? Yes, yes, yes. 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 No, that's true. Actually, you know, we have like... videos. <laughs> no, really, it's from other people, but you know, mm. the concept applies. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's very nice to have this kind of unified experience. And it's—I uh, mean, of course, it's better than. Having to set up, you know, workarounds to stream from the Apple Music app to the Sonos, which is totally possible because I installed Air Sonos on my on my Mac. But you know, the native integration on the Sonos itself is better and you know faster. Uh, so it's nice; it works. It's just not as fun or as full featured as the music app.
0: And it also supports family accounts, right?
1: I haven't tried that, but I think it does.
0: There's a K-Base article.
1: Uh, Well, we should have had Steven explain this to us.
0: In his honor, (laughs) we will include an article from the K-Base. I assume it's the K-Base support.apple.com. Who knows? That thing's a mystery to everybody.
1: Yeah. Well, look at that. There's there's a document here. Yeah, you're right. Thank you, Mike. I didn't know this.
0: So last up today... um, this is an interesting one. A special episode of the talk show dropped mm-hmm. um, last Friday. Uh, it was There was already an episode put out in the week. It was, you know, a a thing orchestrated of Apple PR, I'm sure, with with Mr. Gruber. And this one, that this isn't the first time. This is maybe like the third or fourth time that an Apple executive has appeared on the talk show. But this time, uh, Eddie Q and Craig Federighi joined John Gruber. And it seemed like that they had some messages that they wanted to put across. Um, and they seemed to focus around software quality. Yeah. Right? So they were talking about the Apple TV. They were talking about uh, the criticisms of software quality and iTunes. They, yes. they seem to be kind of the big things that were discussed here. And, I mean, it's difficult to really kind of look at what the message Itself was. There's a lot of criticism um, of, of what was said on the show uh, by the Apple executives. Effectively, in a nutshell, um, they were talking about the complexity of their services and saying that the apps crash less, there are more users now, and things are better in general. That's kind of like what they were saying. Uh, and the criticism of this is that doesn't really say anything about the quality of the software that there are more issues than just crashing. Uh, and just saying that there are more people using it doesn't excuse the fact that there, are, that there are problems perceived by people. And there's also been criticism of the tech press as well for the way that this is being looked at, you know, from the other side, uh, saying that there's a bit of an echo chamber effect going on here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering kind of where you stand on this, given the the, the criticism, the response, and the criticisms again.
1: You may be surprised, Mike, to know that I stand sort of in the middle. Um, Let me explain. I feel like for many people, the main problem is that Apple is doing too many things right now. And a lot of people don't like that uh, because a lot of people grew up with a sort of Apple that was focused on a couple of things. And now that they're doing smartphones and tablets and computers and, you know, music and iCloud and watches... And maybe in the future, cars and you know all these other stuff. I just feel like I mean, of course, Apple is not the underdog anymore, and it, for for some people, it becomes more difficult to accept the flaws of a company when it when it's so huge and so big. Uh, problems exist uh, for sure. Uh, we've seen the, the crazy bugs with iOS seven. Uh, We continue to see the problems with iTunes, with Apple Music, and there's a a couple of apps.
0: There are numerous issues with the device that we love, right? Yes. You you called out a lot of them in your initial review, and a lot of those things haven't been changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there there are a ton of issues with the the keyboard and the way that that's supported, like the actual software keyboard. There are are bugs all over the place, right? In in different Apple products and services. And. Part of the problem, and I think the real problem, the reason this is an issue in the first place, and they address this on the show, is that Apple holds themselves to a higher standard than everybody else, which is why they open themselves up to this criticism.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, we all expect better from Apple. Yeah. Um, The problem is, I, uh, I feel like it's just, at some point it becomes humanly impossible to serve, you know, a billion devices every month and not have bugs all over the place. Uh, and that's just the reality that we need to accept. Uh, but
0: the software bugs aren't like service bugs. I'm sure crop up crop up with a billion people, but software bugs don't get any worse because there's a billion people. It's only well, one piece of software. The, well, right? that's
1: arguable. That's arguable because I you guess know,
0: different circumstances, right? Yes, and you, there is how many quadrillions of edge cases. Are yeah. there. but that isn't necessarily the case when you're looking at something like Discovery D, right? That's not exemplified by the amount of people.
1: That's why I'm in the middle, because we need to understand which problems we're talking about. Because many problems are objective, and you should fix those, and it's really a shame that they shipped. So we can talk about Discovery D, we can talk about the the software keyboard on the iPad Pro... uh, but there's other stuff that so many variables you gotta take into account. Which device are you using? Uh, where are you located? Which settings do you have? Which language are you? Uh, do you have in your device? Have you updated to the latest software? What's you know the screen resolution there?
0: What's your network connectivity status?
1: Exactly, exactly. There's so many variables when so many people are involved, and saying Apple has more bugs. It's very. It's really a blank. Uh, it's it's one of those statements that. It just says everything and says nothing, but that doesn't mean that Apple doesn't have problems. See this is what where I'm where it gets tricky. It is objective that there are issues, but it it's also something that we gotta keep in mind that not everyone is seeing the same problems, and many of these problems. Change from person to person, just because it's the nature of software when it operates at scale to not have the same issues or the same qualities for everyone, and it's a it's a very tricky discussion because um, it, it gets it's easy to say well Apple is so big now they don't care about quality and uh, you know their software is riddled with problems and I'm just gonna stop using Apple devices. And on the other hand, you have people saying, no, 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 everything's fine and Apple is awesome and Apple is magic and, you know, everything is working correctly. I stand in the middle of all that. Um, There are problems, Uh, but, you know, Apple is also working at a scale that's unimaginable just, you know, compared to a few years ago. Uh, You know, when you consider all, you know, iCloud, the iTunes Store, Apple Music so many web services with so many people iMessage, you know, um, it's just different than it used to be. And a lot of people are having difficulty coming to terms with that reality, it feels to me. Like, you know, some people just prefer the Apple of the old days, you know, the nostalgia of the underdog. And nowadays it's different. And it was a really interesting discussion. I keep not accepting the excuse that apple is seeing fewer crashes that's really not an explanation uh because it is a separate fact that's you know hiding the truth with a with a a pretty statistic
0: yeah it's like you know what that's awesome Mm. congratulations on that that is great i'm pleased that that's happening you know that you've 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 done that but that doesn't It's not crashes that are the problem. It seems like weird decisions and missteps are the issues or things that they're just not doing that they should do. That's that, you know, that's where the problems come in. And like, you know, we go back to like decisions that are made or corners that are cut. So like, for example, again, we keep bringing this up because it's something that annoys us. The layout of the software keyboard on the iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. They just didn't bother to do it. Yes, That's that's what it is. That's the (laughs) the quality of software. It's not a bug. It is poor decisions that are made, which we don't expect, considering the standard that Apple hold themselves to with the quality of software. The quality is the thought that goes into it, not the bugs that you find within it. That's what a lot of the issue is here, is the thought that you're putting into this application, this service, this part of your software right that that's what it is. that's the stuff that we're missing at times and and that isn't explained in statistics of crashing
1: yeah exactly yes and i um it is super it's very difficult for me to balance you know the the wish for a perfect software quality and the reality of billions of people having these devices i mean in an ideal state. You would have Apple making the same money as they do now, having the billion iOS devices, you know, active around the world, but also the software quality of you know years ago when the operation was smaller and it was easier to kind of, you know, to keep things in check and to say, well, this thing doesn't work, and you know, or we're gonna ship this app in in a perfect state uh, because we have the resources and we have the focus. Um, it's really a problem of focus, I feel. It's, uh... I,
0: I you know, What I think the problem is right now is it is psychological.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, and
0: and yeah. the reason that I say this is we are looking at the bugs on our iPhones and our Macs in a harsher light because 2015 saw the release of two fundamentally flawed products in the Apple Watch and the Apple TV. They both launched badly. Mm-hmm. And I think... Those experiences are are giving us a taint on everything. So the bugs are still there that they've been forever. Like iOS 9 is miles ahead of iOS 7. iOS 7 was a dumpster fire, right? I will use Stephen's phrase in his absence. That was a disaster of an operating system for its entire life, right? It was full of bugs, full of bugs.
1: I feel like... a. uh... One of the key problems is that, and this applies to life in general. If you wanna, if you wanna say that, um, I do. Whenever, whenever someone or something is successful, hugely successful, it creates a pent-up demand for people to point out things that are wrong. You know, just because, uh, yeah. You know, people want a,
0: it, people want to bring it down. Yes, a notch, right.
1: Yes, exactly. That and
0: and, that, and you see that in people mainly that. Don't like Apple products, right? They they try and bring them down.
1: You also see that that in people who like, in theory, Apple products, um, and for different reasons, uh, because maybe they liked Apple when they were more focused on fewer, you know, services and products, or you see that in people who don't like the fact that Apple is not doing much Mac stuff anymore because they're more focused on, you know, iOS and watchOS. Uh, there's different. Reasons why uh, even Apple fans are, you know, really negative or on Apple lately, um, and and also I, I see this all the time on Twitter, you know, especially in the past couple of years. Um, people are sort of mixing the problems that they see into one basket, uh, saying that the TV remote of the Apple TV doesn't have the perfect layout. That doesn't apply to the software quality discussion, but people seem to throw in, you know, all sorts of criticism into a single bucket and saying, "Yeah, Apple." Wait, is why not. do you but think
0: that doesn't apply to software quality?
1: What does a TV remote design apply to software?
0: Oh, right, you <laughs> but, mean, the, mean actual physical, <laughs> the actual I, physical, physical yeah, object? Yeah, I you thought know. you meant like the the way that it's that singular line. But I think what. I think that that I personally think that software quality, as the heading that we're giving this, is a poor name. I think it should be attention to detail,
1: probably, because yes. that
0: encompasses everything that we're feeling or that people are feeling. Right, that the slowness of the Apple Watch, the poor design of the remote. Although I think the remote looks beautiful, but it's functionally poorly designed. Right? like I, for the first time yesterday, was holding my remote in the wrong. Oh yeah, orientation. Yeah. Trying to scroll around and yeah, you know. but going back to, to to quickly to like the psychological aspect that I mentioned a moment ago. I, I, this is what I think is is the key part of it here from from my perspective is that we're looking at the watch right, which is which is underwhelming in, from a software perspective, especially with the way that Apple pitched it. I don't think any of us use our watches the way that Apple originally showed. It's full of apps, right? No, and and no. you're going into apps and doing stuff. I use my watch every day. I love my Apple Watch, but I don't use it the way that it was originally pitched to us. I use it as a, it gives things to me rather than I go to get things from it. Um, I like the Apple TV, but it's so crazy in the way that it does things. Like I just try and look at, you know, I've heard Marco mention this uh, about trying to find an episode of a TV show. And you have to scroll through every single series to go to the most recent episode. I had to do that recently. It's like, what is what is this? This is insane. Like, oh, and here's the thing: I bought a movie. Um, I bought a uh, uh, Ghostbusters one and two. Me and idiot wanted to watch those over the weekend. I went to the uh, iTunes store. I clicked the buy button, and nothing changed. I had no confirmation of buying it. Uh, the buy button didn't change to a purchase button. I clicked it again. Nothing happened. I didn't get multiple charged, but I clicked it a couple of times thinking it wasn't purchased. Nothing changed. I went to purchased and it was there. It's like, why didn't the buy button give me some indication that I'd purchased this movie? You know, like it's little things like that where you like, they just add up and it's like, this is crazy. So then when you apply that to other Parts of your Apple experience, and then when something weird happens on your iPhone, you're like, What is this nightmare scenario that has been created for me by Apple Incorporated? And I think that's where this is becoming more of an issue because 2015 saw two products heavily hyped and kind of released underwhelmingly to the point where you know they're saying that there's going to be a new Apple remote app coming, right? And it's like, Well, all right. You know it's needed. Why is it now?
1: Uh, Because it's not ready. I mean, you gotta...
0: Exactly, but, you know, I go back to this all the time and, and I know that people hate this and whatever, but if it wasn't ready, why did you release it in the first place? Nobody made you do it. You choose. I don't know.
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, for how long does this argument extend? Because you can say, well, if you knew how to make the iPhone 5, why wasn't the first iPhone the iPhone 5?
0: Well, no, but you're taking, <laughs> you're taking something that already exists and you're replacing it with lesser functionality. That's the difference. It's like, imagine the iPhone 7 is released, but there is no music app. But the music app comes in two weeks' time or two months' time. Right, that would be like, yeah. well, what are you doing here? This is crazy. That that's the way I look at that, anyway. But I understand both sides of that argument. But anyway, let, that that's that, right? Like they tried to to excuse the software quality. I don't think that they did a job that anybody was really happy with. But they did what we would have expected: is they spun the PR angle and tried to do a good job of of, of kind of papering over the cracks. Um, mm, and yeah. I actually think. That that John Gruber did a good job with this. I yes. he poked and prodded them, Yeah. but didn't. And and I like if I was in that scenario, I don't think I would do a good job. But let's say I could do a good job, <laughs> I would
1: have uh, I would have gotten upset. <laughs> I, that,
0: I, that my thing is I would know not to bother because they've given you an answer like that. You know, he poked them a little bit. They told the funny story about Craig. About like Eddie Q going to Craig's house. Do you right? think it's a
1: real story, by the I way? Do, <laughs> I do, actually. Uh, I do.
0: And and eventually it's like, then obviously this is the line they're taking. There's no point pushing them because they're not going to give me anything else. They're not going to go, all right, you got me. It's mm. crap. They're not going to do that. So you, you, take no. it as, you, know, you take it as far <laughs> as you can take it. Um, they did drop in a couple of little parts that I thought were interesting. Eddie says at one point there's a new version of OS 10 with a refreshed iTunes app who will focus on music coming next month. Uh, what? <laughs> now we're. I can assume that when he says new version of OS 10, he means like El Capitan, another version of El Capitan, right? Not like the next version of OS 10. You know, I can imagine that's not what they're talking about here. We'll see that at WWDC. I would assume. Uh, But there's some new iTunes app coming, apparently, which Mm, mm -hmm. we don't know anything about yet. But that maybe means that this March event, right, which is next month, might have some OS X or Mac stuff in it, maybe. Or they just announced this separately.
1: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And play with me here. All right. Do you think that... I've always wanted to. do, Do you think that to an extent... The One of the problems, at least, is that nerds want to be loved by Apple more. Let oh, me yeah, yeah. Let me explain. Every time it's WWDC time, it's around June, and Apple has a big event and developers fly to San Francisco. They feel respected. They feel loved. They get the speech by Phil Schiller. They see Tim Cook. They see Craig Federighi. And everyone's excited. From the summer, there's a plenty of good feelings. The holidays pass, the September event passes, you know, it's January, and, you know, Apple is working on what's next, and nerds start to feel a distance from the company, and routinely, you know, negativity bubbles up again. And I just find the timing interesting of this John Gruber interview. It was almost like Apple, you know, Mother Apple saying, don't worry, we're here, we're thinking about you guys, it's going to get better.
0: Yeah, I think so. And they dropped in a couple of uh, tidbits about it, which I think is really telling when Federici was like, yeah, we know we didn't have Bluetooth support in the Apple TV, but the funny thing is when WWDC is going on, there's no Bluetooth keyboards being <laughs> yes. used at the Apple TV. <laughs> yeah, I, and and um... I thought that was really... I found that quite a endearing story, and it's very telling of the problems that they have to go through, is the people that are talking about this sort of wider world aren't necessarily the normal users, but we are the ones that push them hardest, which is what they need, right? And and they must appreciate that because we are the ones that hold them accountable. And it is that accountability that pushes them forward to make better things. But it is funny to hear that. And yes, I agree that this is I think a lot of this was they know the audience of the, of the talk show. The talk show's audience is even more narrow than Daring Fireball. They could have said, we want to do a written interview with Daring Fire on Daring Fireball, but no, they chose to do the talk show. I think that this was a lot of trying to put some of this at ease, and the people they're trying to put at ease are developers and the tech press. I think mm-hmm. that that was part of what they're attempting to do here, which is why they chose this venue to have this conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um Something that Federighi said, uh, our back channel communication regarding responding to radars needs to improve. Yes, that's true. I thought that was very good. It's very true. And they said that they understand the need at trying to get better at communicating what's fixed and and what's going to be fixed. And I thought that that was was kind of something that it felt like he just wanted to talk about as opposed to it being prompted. Um, So I thought that that was a really good thing to bring up.
1: Yeah, anyone who's ever used Radar, uh, and especially you know developers who file a lot of bugs, know that every time Apple closes a bug without an explanation, uh, you know, uh, this what does is it a mean? Du- what does it mean? This is a duplicate, or the functionality is be is working as intended. Well, what does it mean? Just give me an update.
0: Well, it's the intention to break it? Like what is the intention?
1: I found one of Federiggi's points really good when he said. Well, sometimes we don't reply because we don't have a protocol to, you know, for saying we know it's a problem right now, but we're working on a fix for a future version of the OS. So how do we do it? Do we promise a fix? Do we provide a time frame? How can we communicate that we know it's a problem in the current version, in the stable release, but it's going to get addressed in the future? Um, uh, that's a really good point, you know, when you don't want to overpromise, when you don't want to provide developers with a, with a sk- uh, schedule, with a release state because that's gonna get passed to the press you know Um, that's a really good point but there's also ways to maybe improve that communication Uh, just you know to say we were aware that it's a problem. It's going to be releasing. Uh, re- there's going to be a fix in the future. We'll send you an email. You know, <laughs> that, c- that can be something. Uh, uh, you know, we will send you a summary of your bugs when they're fixed in an upcoming release. But, well, that can work. Uh, you know, there's ways to to not give people a release date or to give people a promise, but still to keep people informed. So, I agree. You know, we'll see. Well, maybe this year. You know, maybe this time around, iOS 10. Uh, it's the, the good moment for introspection and for you know giving developers the tools that they really want and the fixes that you know they want to see. And
0: <sighs> if any Apple executive ever wants to come on this show, we'll roll out the red carpet for you.
1: You know, and to give to give the nerds a little more love. <laughs> yeah,
0: the European, come on, come speak to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Even though our audience is majority <laughs> US, but we don't have to worry about that. Me and Federico aren't there. Mm. Alright, I think that's it, Mr. Ticci. Oh yeah, good show. Good show. Grab bag. Lots, yeah. of, lots of stuff today. Um, if you want to find our show notes for this week, you know where to go. FM slash connect slash 78 or just do some scrolling in your podcast app which they hopefully should be there. If you want to find Federico online, you can go over to net, where you'll find his beautiful work or he's at V-I-T-I-C-C-I on Twitter. Don't forget, Federico also hosts Canvas and Remaster on Relay FM as well. So, more gaming and uh, iOS focused content there from our Italian stallion. If you want to find uh, Mr. Stephen Hackett, because He's not here, so you have to go find him. Go to 512pixels.net for his writing, and he is at ISMH on Twitter. He also hosts Liftoff as well on Relay FM. I host many shows at Relay FM, too many to list. In fact, uh, I have a little blog now over at com, the best URL on the internet. Uh, and I'm also at iMike on Twitter, I M Y K E. Thanks again to Smile with PDF Pen and Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, thank you to everybody that is a member of Relay FM, supports this show or any of our other shows. You can find out more information about that over at relay.fm/slash membership. And you can sign up there if you would like to. Uh, we'll be back next week, I think, all three of us. But who knows? (laughs) Maybe it's your turn to take a week off, Federico. I hope not.
1: I don't think so. (laughs) That's
0: that's my boy. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll be back. But say goodbye, Federico. Adios. (laughs) Adios.
1: You said that. (laughs)